Well, hey, welcome to another episode of uh, Safeonomics. I'm Scott Cuthbert, co-founder of Safepedia. And I'm Gabe Karnashan with BBL Safety. Yeah, and we're super pleased uh, to be joined today by Dr. Georgie Popoff, Chair of uh, Occupational Risk and Safety Sciences at the Department at the University of uh, Central Missouri, and Larry Sloan, who's the CEO of AIHA, the American Industrial Hygiene Association. <clears throat> Our topic today is why and how to make the business case for making improvement enhancements to a work uh, process or procedure to better protect worker health and safety, and uh, a little, little bit, little deviation from our our regular format, right, Gabe? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it's not not that bad of a deviation in the sense that it's definitely the. Uh, I mean, we talk about safeonomics being the the intersection of safety and business, and how that all plays out. This is very much a deep dive into that concept. I mean, there's a lot of business. Uh, terms, business concepts that are in this. Uh, I'm getting flashbacks to my finance days in, <laughs> in listening to this recording. Um, but yeah, some amazing uh, case studies that are being brought up in this conversation and uh, a really good chance to kind of look at what does this mean to evaluate a, uh, to, to actually build that business case for safety at a very granular level. So um Sit tight, hang on for the the conversation. It gets a little bit, um, it, it'll get a little bit mathy at points, <laughs> but yeah. uh, really great concepts. Yeah, no, I was I, I was interested in this uh, episode today, and and definitely interested to see what uh, anyone listening thinks because um, a, a lot of times you're you're having sort of superficial conversations, and Georgie definitely dives right into the detail presents presents the 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 formulas the calculations and the rationale behind the business case for for some of the improvements within those within those case studies so um it it is a, a like you say a little deviation from a regular format but really interested to see what what people think and i think it's an opportunity for us to explore um some some live sessions where where maybe uh, uh, people can bring their their current situations to 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 us, and, uh, and we can help uh, definitely craft that that business case. Because one of, one of the things that Georgie says is taking the accountants to lunch was one of the most valuable things that he did. Best money he spent. And, uh, <laughs> last last time I checked, I think we uh, <clears throat> we both qualify as uh, as accountants. So, yeah. so definitely take us to lunch, and, and yeah, exactly. we can help you with your formulas. Exactly. Well, that was one of the the neat things about um, kind of digesting a lot of this conversation is, as you said, that there's questions that come up in it, and um, and I'm sure that there are others that have uh, others in our community that have questions about building that business case, understanding what what do you mean about um, an NRR or or I'm sorry, IRR. NRR is for earplugs, uh, but IRR and um, and then what is a you know net present value of this investment, things like that, um, yeah. and really looking at safety not as as a necessary evil, but it's actually an investment. And just like any other investment, it has to have a return on it. So how do you actually calculate that? Uh, this would be fin a, a fantastic conversation to have with people live um i'm sure we could make that happen down the line question mark <laughs> yeah absolutely. that'd be a ton of fun but yeah i i think it's a it, it is a very fascinating conversation looking forward to 
um, more of those in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And if you if you're listening to it on the on the podcast, um, Larry and Georgie share a lot of uh, graphics. Uh, they they sh uh, sh show the calculations that were used in the case studies. So definitely encourage you to pop over to the Safepedia YouTube channel and check out the video format of it if if you want to uh, to uh, to see the graphics. And also, I know Georgie and Larry were very open, you know, to anyone who wanted to reach out. They were more than happy to share uh, share the presentation with them as well. So, maybe maybe with that, we can uh, turn it over to uh, Dr. Georgie Popoff and uh, Larry Sloan. Welcome, Georgie and Larry. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so let's let's start off <clears throat> with the fundamental fundamental question, Larry. Um, what what do we mean when we talk about making the business case for EHS projects? Very good question, Scott. So let me first state that uh, some of the comments that I'm about to mention come from an AIHA technical framework document that we published back in 2020. And it was titled, The Keys to Effective Presentation of Your Business Case. We define these technical frameworks as what we say is the core knowledge and the skills that are required by an individual for the effective performance in a specific practice or area of expertise. And these frameworks are widely used uh, as a resource for individuals that are looking to expand or refresh their knowledge uh, or their skills, or if you wanna develop a new training program within an organization. But to answer your question, we need to make the business case for interventions that either aim to reduce or eliminate adverse exposures to a particular hazard. It could be an airborne chemical, excessive noise, repetitive motion, radiation, et cetera. And these interventions occur by the application of something called the hierarchy of controls, which are used to modify the operation in some way. So we wanna start at the top of the hierarchy of controls, right? And we say we practice avoidance early in the design phase of a new project eliminating the exposure to the hazard. And then we work our way down the hierarchy to substitution. And then below that is engineering controls, administrative controls, and then finally personal protective equipment. Right. And so uh, obviously, Larry, you're with the AIHA and a lot of our audience are the, the safety professionals. So for, for what type of professionals is this information critical to understand? Yeah, and I would say that it's really critical for everybody who's listening, including the traditional safety professionals and engineers. Um, certainly environmental health and safety staff, EHS generalists, whether they're skilled in uh, IH or not, I think that they can rely on this type of information to help define what skills they need to make the business case, both to the workforce and to senior management. Also, I think this is applicable to line and senior management when they're working with human resources in making decisions on what kind of skills do their personnel need as they're rising up through the chain. And then finally, I would think that regulators would also be interested in understanding and seeing what is the effectiveness of the interventions and what are some practical, practical examples uh, that they can understand where the hierarchy of controls has been put into place. Yeah, great, that's interesting. And, I, and, and you mentioned the, uh 
the business case that you that AIHA put together. I think you can download that off of Safepedia or or your website if people are interested in in uh, digging into that a little deeper. So, so thanks, Larry. Um, Georgie, how does one go about making the business case? Well, all business cases develop from a proposed intervention, and with the interventions, we're targeting uh, occupational, environmental health and safety hazards, uh, exposures, or risk to enterprise uh, that uh, basically somebody believes uh, we need to manage that. So the creation of well-written problem statement is a key to identifying the target interventions or sometimes we call them uh, solutions. So as a result, a scope of the project must be defined. So that is the first and uh, critical uh, step. Georgie, this is a really critical process. So who all should be involved in it? Well, good question, Larry. Uh, many different groups, I would say many different groups uh, of people should be involved. So internally, this may include line management, workers uh, or operators. In some organizations, they call them partners. Uh, in engineering staff, uh, senior management uh, as well. However, we should also consider HR or talent acquisitions uh, that we call them these days, uh, financial department, procurement, sometimes lean Six Sigma experts and many others. Uh, if we we consider that to be uh, necessary. But let's see, did we forget an important group of experts? Who do you think is going to lead that uh, team? Well, that, that should be us, occupational, environmental, health and safety uh, professionals. So in a way, we might include uh, other uh, groups like uh, public relations, regulators, and uh, local community. And this could be considered uh, external uh, sources or external uh, groups of uh, experts that we may want to invite. Yeah. Great. So, so Larry, what, what type of business objectives should we, would, would be established before beginning this type of work? Very good question, Scott. So first off, we want to demonstrate uh, an understanding of the organizational key performance indicators or KPIs, or there may be some other metrics across the various stakeholder groups. And some of these might be contained in the annual reports that are issued to stockholders each year. So we want to locate those sources of information in order to gain knowledge of the various business segments. We want to look at internal proprietary marketing literature and any other sources that show the top decision makers the value structure. We can then utilize the skills necessary to analyze this business case and its impact and metrics against the business objectives to make the case for the uh, intervention, as well as offer improvements to the entire enterprise. Georgie, what else am I missing? Well, uh, probably we should consider several others. So we need to evaluate how EHS opportunities will affect each of the business objectives, how they contribute to the business objectives. 
we want to effectively communicate the business objectives uh, in order to get confirmation that they are correct. Usually, you will find them on uh, the website or just uh, like you mentioned, the annual uh, reports. Uh, we will also want to establish an appropriate set of options for the interventions. Uh, we want to recognize that uh, maybe uh, a single alternative or something that will prevent us from going for forward or stop doing uh, something. Uh, or it, it could be several alternatives. Uh, usually, we emphasize on layers of protection, and we'll uh, discuss that uh, later. But we may want to consider several engineering designs for controls or process uh, modifications. And uh, finally, we want to identify the regulatory constraints to uh, the organization. In addition, we should probably mention the enterprise risk management uh, model here. So we have to look at the so-called hazard risk or occupational risks, the operational risk, that's another quadrant. Then we have the financial risks and strategic risks. So these are basically considered the four quadrants of uh, enterprise risk management. In fact, uh, AHA is working on an updated enterprise uh, risk management body of knowledge uh, publication. So very often we hear that we're not invited to participate in executive level business uh, decisions. Perhaps we can address some of these uh, issues later if we have time. But uh, there are actually amazing uh, resources available to occupational, environmental health and safety professional members. Uh, we hope we can provide even more free resources to professional members in the future. Yeah, that's that's great information, Georgie. And I think the message here is that, you know, the occupational, environmental health and safety profession really needs to play a key role in meeting with these uh, various stakeholders that we've talked about. And it's not just the occupational or hazard risks. It's, as Georgie indicated, these other types of risks that we'll get into a little bit more detail. There's also various process impacts that we need to consider. For example, who are the external stakeholders that should be identified, um, specifically for those issues that are not financial or technical? Are there implications that are emotional or ethical that affect certain populations in the community around the facility, for example? We want to make sure we you know, understand uh, all of the inputs, so staffing, different methods, and different types of equipment to account for all the impacts that are being made or brought on by the change. And then finally, we want to map the impacts from a management of change framework which is really, really important. We want to identify the lead time as we procure any new raw materials or equipment, the time it's going to take to install and test the equipment, training workers involved in using the new equipment, for example. All of that figures into the communication under management of change. Right. And, and so, um, Georgie, like we hear from a lot of safety professionals, um, you know, they, they, uh, uh, want to make changes, implement improvements. 
and and they struggle with with explaining uh, the financial impact. So, so maybe walk us through how uh, safety professionals could could uh, uh, work on defining these in order to move these projects forward. Well, good question, uh, Scott. Uh, I would say EHS professionals need very good understanding of uh, the uh, financial theory uh, tools. That will include discounting and present value, the criteria for selecting discount rates, inflation adjustments. We all talk about inflation uh, these days in uh, soft lending, no lending. Uh, uh, you hear that uh, quite often on uh, the news. Uh, and we have to look at alternative ways of summarizing the overall financial benefits and the costs of uh, investments, especially in prevention. And later on, if we have time, we can mention the difference between prevention and mitigation. But um, to start with uh, the financial impact uh, question, uh, we should look at the historical records and historical perspective. There is actually a lengthy history of industrial hygiene science contributing to the improvement of workplace environments and uh, processes. Even so, it can be a challenge uh, to evaluate and communicate the value of industrial hygiene programs and the different activities. So we have to communicate properly in terms that are understood and readily accepted by the organizational leadership. So this is often not being done. Uh, and sometimes we have uh, different uh, backgrounds and we are looking at uh, different uh, leaders in um, different management uh, styles. But uh, we should absolutely include the traditional business matrix uh, and uh, methods uh, in any of our analysis. So in recognition of uh, the need to better understand and the tools to communicate the business value of industrial hygiene related processes and improvements, uh, the American Industrial Hygiene Association and the Board of Global EHS credentialing uh, commissioned the value of the profession uh, study. And that was a significant multi-phase project to develop and test strategy to analyze qualitative and quantitative value of uh, work of the industrial hygiene uh, profession. Uh, so the desired outcome of the strategy was to deliver a model for industrial hygiene and occupational environmental and health and safety professionals that could be used to provide compelling business case uh, information and that would help us um, understand uh, the business value and that will help us uh, to be successful when we compete for limited resources and um, we can demonstrate the value of uh, uh, occupational, environmental, health and safety 
professionals and how we contribute to business and the operations team and uh, how we can communicate the facts that will help us understand uh, what we bring to the table and how we can make uh, our organizations to be more successful. So way back when a team led by uh, ORC Worldwide uh, in collaboration with uh, the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, NIOSH, undertook uh, the task of formulating uh, that uh, strategy. But part of the challenge uh, in describing the value of the industrial hygiene activities in terms that are understood and accepted within uh, the business uh, community was uh, the term value itself and the meaning uh, of it. So um, later on, um, we decided to modify the study and um, we should probably, uh, speaking of value and what kind of value we bring to uh, the organizations, we should mention uh, Warren Buffett, and uh, he famously stated that price is what you pay, value is what you get. And uh, that should be considered when we develop uh, business cases. So as a result, uh, the strategy actually framed uh, the value of industrial hygiene practices and programs in terms of impact or the effect that they may have on the organization. So um, having determined this conceptually, uh, developers of of the strategy needed to select uh, from options that are available, that we can measure and we can present uh, as the value we create um, by impacting uh, the organizational objectives. So one method that is uh, widely used in the business community is the business case. So instead of calling it value of the profession, uh, we decided to use common terminology like business case. So again, that's a defining uh, concept and we have to present that uh, concept and accept uh, the challenges uh, with it. So. Based on the the feedback from American Industrial Hygiene Association members, uh, we we were advised to simplify that model. And uh, now these new simplified uh, business case in environmental health and safety can be defined as structured method used to justify a project or intervention for decision makers. actually captures the effects of implementing programs or activities on employee health and safety that could be injuries or illnesses. Uh, We have to look at the risk management and uh, the business process as a whole. So the effects will include uh, many common uh, financial business metrics like the net present value, internal rate of return, return on investment. Payback period is uh, uh, another one which is really important. But all these terms are really meaningful to the business uh, management. So 
This uh, tool, which is freely available, also includes non-financial benefits. And non-financial benefits are those that cannot be directly or easily monetized. So in reality, a business case answers the question, what's in it for the company? So uh, and this new interactive AHA business case tool is aligned with international and national standards like uh, NC, ASSP, ISO 31000, which the latest version of the standard uh, was published in 2018. And that internationally recognized uh, standard is titled Risk Management Principles and Guidelines. So um, I hope we have time, but you know, let me share my experience um, and how I learned the importance of developing and communicating sound business cases for OHS uh, interventions. So when I worked for uh, an environmental uh, company, we uh, won a big project and we were supposed to remove asbestos ceiling tiles, uh, you know, coatings and lead-based paint and you name it. Well, uh, sure enough, you start with risk identification. And based on my experience and what I learned uh, um, early on in my career, I, if I remember correctly, I identified like 72 different environmental health and safety risks. And I went to my manager's office with a lengthy list of uh, risks. And he advised me to go and talk to the CEO because that is uh, going to be a significant uh, project. And it needed funding in order to address uh, all these risks. And sure enough, I went to the CEO's office and presented all the lengthy list with uh, the identified EHS risks. And I told him, well, we have a problem. Well, guess what he told me? He said, we don't have a problem. You have a problem. Now you go back to your office and tell me how we're going to fix it. So I quickly learned that uh, upper level management doesn't want to hear about problems they want to hear about solutions. So um, back then, uh, we had, you know, the the simple hierarchy of controls. Engineering was the highest level of control and this and that. And I started looking for alternatives. And then the whole risk assessment, luckily at that time, the uh, first version of the ISO risk management standard was published. So uh, basically, I took that uh, framework and um, developed a plan how we're going to address all these uh, EHS risks. So I went back to the CEO's office. He looked at it and he, that's better, much better. But can you tell me how expensive these things are? And what's in it for me? Why would I invest in uh, EHS interventions? And why would I invest in prevention when we have such a good uh, insurance policy? Well, uh, later on, I learned that we 
had really high deductible. And I can honestly tell you, I uh, didn't know um, enough about uh, business case development uh, back then. And I decided to buy lunch for our accountants. And that was the best money probably I ever spent. Because next time I needed a number, it can produce that uh, number easily uh, for me. And once I realized that we had high deductible and I said, well, instead of uh, paying a million dollars deductible, uh, maybe we can invest that money in environmental health and safety. And they liked it so much. Uh, after that, I was uh, invited uh, to every meeting when uh, decisions had to be made about uh, projects, whether we want to bid that project or not. Now, uh, there is also um, an opportunity to discuss prevention through design. So back then, uh, prevention through design uh, was uh, in the early development uh, stages. Um, in fact, it started as uh, safety uh, through design and way before that, uh, of course, but in a way, uh, NIOSH uh, uh, decided to um, establish the national initiative for prevention through design to ensure that occupational um, injuries, illnesses, and uh, fatalities are designed out of the process. And uh, if possible, uh, we would like to prevent the injuries and illnesses before uh, they happen. So that's uh, an important component of uh, making the business case. And uh, if you look at it conceptually, uh, it like any solid building, we'll have uh, foundations, of course, and the two pillars will be risk assessments and risk priorities and the hierarchy of risk treatments. And then we'll have uh, sustainable operation, better quality, better reputation. Perhaps I should have uh, mentioned uh, that out of the 72 EHS risks that uh, I identified, uh, the CEO told me that we're not going to be able financially to address all of them at once. So he wanted me to prioritize which ones were the most important ones to address this year, and then we'll budget for the rest of it for next year. So uh, I hope this... Uh, visual here will bring a little bit more understanding of the prevention through design concepts. Georgie, uh, I'm very familiar with prevention through design. You know, I started out my career as a chemical engineer, and unfortunately, in my studies, there really was no focus on worker health and safety. We've talked about this in the past. Um, NIOSH hosts the annual reward award now that AIHA is going to be a co-sponsor along with the National Safety Council and ASSP starting in 2024. So we're very excited about that. And Georgie, you received the NIOSH award back in 2022. 
So congratulations once again to you. It's a great honor. I've done a lot of reading on prevention through design, and you know I see it being referred to as a transdisciplinary uh, or multidisciplinary. What what does that mean in simpler terms? Well, Larry, that's that's a great uh, question. Uh, in our profession, uh, we very often use uh, mitigation and prevention terms interchangeably, but these are not the same terms. So uh, if you picture both sides of a bow tie on one side we'll have the occupational environmental and health and safety risks the preventive controls in the middle we'll have the so-called top event and on the other side we'll have the mitigation controls and the consequences i know it sounds uh, simplistic and it's uh, difficult to picture that uh, in a podcast. However, uh, let's start with uh, historical perspective. A great expression for prevention versus mitigation comes to us from Benjamin Franklin. He famously advised that uh, fire threatened uh, Philadelphians in uh, 1736. Uh, so he famously said that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if we dissect uh, the all-time methodology, we will quickly realize that uh, we have to spend uh, our valuable time and resources on the prevention side, hence the prevention through design initiatives. So recent surveys uh, indicate that uh, occupational, environmental, health and safety professionals spend only 10% of their time on the prevention initiatives in the design phase. So industry surveys also indicate that we spend more than 70% of our time in the operational phase. I mean, compliance and retrofits. So imagine if we spent more than half of our time in the design phase and we concentrate on risk avoidance and elimination of health and safety and environmental risks. Uh, we very often hear that we're not invited to participate in uh, the design phase. Perhaps we have to learn to use business language. We have to learn to use uh, engineering terms as well. If uh, we have improvement projects, uh, usually that involves Lean and Six Sigma experts. So we need to learn to speak their language uh, as well. But uh, speaking, the most important uh, part uh, for me is probably the business language. And I mean, we have to communicate properly with upper level management. Um, if we learn how to develop uh, prevention through design business cases, we'll become more valuable members of the enterprise risk management team, which I mentioned earlier, the four quadrants, the occupational risk, the operational risk, financial and strategic risks. Yeah, that, that's great. And I, I want to, uh, <clears throat> um, just before we, we, we go any further, just want to mention if people are listening to it on podcast, uh, we do have a version of it uh, on our YouTube channel uh, where we 
uh, you'll be able to see the the diagrams that Larry and Georgie are, are sharing. And I'm sure also <clears throat> that uh, if if anyone wants to reach out to Larry or Georgie, I'm sure, hope I'm not uh, making any promises we can't deliver on, but I'm sure you'd be happy to share uh, this this information with, with anyone listening. So if you are uh, listening while you're driving and you can't see the... Uh, the, the diagrams, like I say, you can check them out on YouTube or or reach out to Larry and, and Georgie. I, I wanted to also circle back on something you said about taking the accountants to, to lunch <laughs> and how valuable that was, because I think that's important as well, because you're not going to necessarily learn the business language overnight. So, um, you know, definitely taking that initiative to uh, to work with engineers and, and, and the finance department and helping to get more acquainted with with the terminology that they use is important and that's definitely one of the, the driving reasons why we we did the safeonomics uh, podcast was to help out with that so um but just going back to the hierarchy of controls how does the uh the prevention by design integrate in, into this well great question scott um i think we can modify the question a little bit so very often uh i would describe prevention through design as a solid building with two pillars. And I really hope our listeners will be able to see some of the visuals that we can provide here. So I mentioned earlier, on one side, we have risk assessment and risk priorities. And then uh, we would determine which ones are our risk priorities. Because uh, like I was told, and like we all know, we're not going to have enough uh, funding to address all, all the risks uh, at the same time or even in one year uh, time. So after we have determined the risks and risk priorities, then we can address the risks using the hierarchy of risk treatment, which uh, I will provide a little bit more information about that. But... Um, I hope you can see that visual. We have uh, solid foundations, design and redesign, where we're going to place the risk criteria, risk assessment, and risk treatment. And we have to manage that risk throughout the whole life cycle. And the two pillars, the risk assessment and the hierarchy of risk treatments, then we have a solid uh, roof, which will ensure that we have... Uh, healthy and safe work environment and uh, better quality, lower costs and improved uh, reputation. So because we're competing for valuable resources, we have to develop a business case and convince the executive team to invest in higher levels of controls. And higher levels of controls usually require significant upfront investment, but it will save money in the long run. Uh, in fact, uh, the latest version of the prevention uh, through design standard expanded the hierarchy of controls to include uh, avoidance, elimination, substitution, minimization, uh, simplification, passive controls, uh, active engineering controls, uh, warning and awareness devices, uh, procedures and training, and uh, finally, PPE. So that is the so-called ALARP uh, concept, uh, as low as reasonably practicable. 
and we really hope that uh, you would consider it next time uh, you participate in uh, the design uh, phase. And I did mention earlier that uh, higher levels of controls like uh, avoidance, elimination, substitution, minimization, simplification will require significant amount of uh, upfront investment. But it saves money in the long run. In a way, uh, if you think about that, uh, a British lord uh, uh, said famously many years ago that uh, I'm not that rich to buy cheap things. So consider that uh, concept uh, next time you make decisions about the upper levels of uh, controls. Georgie, I like the uh, the LARP figure that we're displaying. And you can see that, for example, minimizing, simplifying, passive, active controls, they could be defined as um, subcategories under engineering controls in the traditional hierarchy of controls, triangle or pyramid. And so you're really adding gradations, if you will, of control strategies within the traditional elimination, substitution, and engineering uh, rings or rungs of the ladder. So I understand that you also have another anecdotal example of how you have taken prevention through design and you put it into practice. Would you like to share that with the uh, audience here? Well, hey, that's, uh, that's a very good summary. And uh, we should emphasize on the fact that uh, you're engineer. So uh, you have an amazing understanding of the hierarchy of controls and hierarchy of risk treatments. Uh, perhaps uh, I should mention uh, the reason we uh, decided to rename the hierarchy of controls to hierarchy of risk treatment is because if you avoid the risk early in the design phase, there is nothing to control and risk treatment is uh, more readily acceptable business terms and readily acceptable international risk management uh, term. It's part of the ISO risk management process. But uh, to uh, go back uh, to a really interesting uh, case study, it will be a difficult task to summarize uh, the case study without visual support, but let me try. So uh, this case study should provide uh, all of us and especially occupational environmental health and safety practitioners with a better understanding of how to use the seven steps uh, business case model. So this case study is taken from uh, an exhaust tailpipe and muffler assembling uh, facility located in uh, the Midwest in uh, I cannot mention the name of the company for obvious reasons, but the company is a mid-sized manufacturer of uh, exhaust tailpipe and muffler assemblies for uh, pickup uh, trucks. It's a 20,000 square feet uh, facility. They receive the pre-cut uh, tubing and the mufflers. They bend them, size them, and then uh, they assemble them and uh, weld them to completed uh, muffler exhaust uh, units. And that facility runs uh, two eight and a half hours work shifts per day. And that 
of course, includes half an hour for lunch and uh, breaks. So picture that uh, five production welders work on each work shift with four operating hand welders and one operating a Melton automated uh, arc welding machine. So during the morning shift, four welders uh, used the handheld uh, trigger activated gun equipped with uh, automatic uh, filler wire feed. And the welding stations were not equipped with local exhaust uh, ventilation. Now, that wasn't a problem uh, up until around 2006. However, OSHA had reduced the permissible exposure limit for hexavalent chromium from 52 micrograms per cubic meter down to 5 micrograms per cubic meter. And, of course, the corresponding action level of 2.5 micrograms per uh, cubic meter. So exposure above these values will mandate a variety of follow-up and corrective actions. And because of the standards requirement located in 29 CFR 1910.1026 require that exposure assessment is performed to evaluate the welder's exposure, we had to uh, take samples and evaluate the welder's exposure to hexavalent chromium. Uh, Here's uh, another uh, probably important point that we should mention. When we talk to upper level managers and uh, engineers and uh, decision makers in January, we should speak their language. And, you know, if we start mentioning uh, 29 CFR 1910, I can guarantee you they don't understand that and um, it will be difficult to communicate that way. However, if we include a couple of uh, visual examples and present the case to them that two of our welders uh, were overexposed, which uh, means uh, that we have to address the risk of uh, hexavalent chromium exposure, and they decided that uh, we have to reduce absolutely the hexavalent uh, chromium exposure to below the occupational uh, exposure limits. In addition, uh, we had to evaluate the design of the workstations to address musculoskeletal disorders. And uh, uh, some of you who might be able to see some of the visuals that uh, were providing will notice that uh, these are significant ergonomic uh, risks. So with uh, that knowledge, the organization formed a risk reduction team, which uh, comprised of industrial hygiene consultants, ergonomic consultants, engineers. Uh, The EHS team was the lead, of course, quality and operations manager and the welder. So Uh, The operators are the ones who are actually doing the work and they're more familiar with it and they should be invited to participate in the decision-making process. So according to the AHA technical framework that Larry mentioned earlier, uh, which is titled The Keys to Effective Presentation of Your Business Case, 
the team would need to determine the purpose of the business case, identify the stakeholders, decision makers, and decisions or actions to which the, the businesses relate. And we also have to determine the scope and the limitation of uh, the effort, a time frame, resources needed. And uh, the project scope was uh, somewhat limited to occupational health and safety and environmental risk reduction to uh, welder operations with special attention uh, to hexavalent chromium exposure and musculoskeletal disorders uh, risks. So um, we had to identify the key business objectives and um, we can very often find the organization's business objectives on the website or annual reports that uh, Larry mentioned earlier. But if we uh, look at some of the uh, examples, like uh, business objectives could be business sustainability, but sustainability from a business perspective, excellence in uh, environmental health and safety, retain talented employees, uh, increase profits, and diversification of markets and customers. So these are very common business objectives for many uh, organizations. But after that, we had to identify occupational health and safety risks. And we're all familiar with a number of different risk identification uh, techniques. A good starting point is the identification of uh, job task level risks, uh, especially when uh, the steps are easily segmented and divided. And uh, this could be, we can start with the very well-known uh, fundamental job hazard analysis, which is provided on the OSHA uh, website. And it's still an amazing uh, document. So for this case study, we visited the company, collected air samples and uh, visual evidence, and we documented the work conditions. So for those of you who can uh, see uh, the digital images that we took from uh, the facility, uh, you will notice that uh, uh, in addition to the welding fumes going straight to the uh, face of the operator. Uh, we also have to address the uh, ergonomics risks to prevent musculoskeletal disorder. So based on the funding uh, findings, uh, the job hazard analysis form was uh, completed and we used it for risk uh, identification. A great source of information regarding potential workplace exposures to chemical, physical, and biological agents that might occur in different uh, workplace settings is located on uh, uh, the AHA website, and it's titled Industrial Hygiene Hazard Identification and Exposure Risk Assessment by Market Segment. So information from this website can help uh, those developing job hazard analysis to have a starting point in how to identify occupational health hazards. And uh, we can also learn about uh, generic exposure 
profiles by market uh, segment. So as a next step, we have to analyze and evaluate the occupational, environmental, uh, and health and safety risks. So the tool that uh, we uh, developed, the AHA business case tool, will give you an option to use two different uh, risk assessment matrices, 5x4 and 5x5. These are probably the most commonly used ones. In addition to that, uh, you will notice that uh, we have a return on investment, financial summary, and uh, non-financial benefits as well. But going back to um, our workplace uh, case study with the welders, hexavalent chromium and lower back musculoskeletal disorders were considered high risk. In uh, shoulder and neck musculoskeletal disorders were considered moderate, moderate risk due to lower likelihood of uh, occurrence. And based on the risk analysis uh, results, we selected uh, the risks that were considered not acceptable. And like we mentioned earlier, uh, you can't address 100% of the identified risks uh, in short period of time. So uh, prioritize them and again, consider what's acceptable and what is not acceptable. So the assessment showed the risk to be high with remedial action required. Therefore, risk treatment options uh, had to be considered. So it was obvious that uh, control measures uh, will have to be implemented and uh, the welders experimented with new welding helmets with supplied uh, air system. However, such control measures were very unpopular with uh, the welders. It slows down the production and uh, supplied air system was inconvenient uh, for the welders. It required extra maintenance, training, and uh, productivity was negatively affected. Therefore, Higher levels of controls, or referring back to the hierarchy of risk treatments, uh, had to be considered. So in order to reduce the hexavalent chromium exposure and eliminate the use of respirators, each manual weld station had to be equipped with local exhaust uh, ventilation system. And the local exhaust ventilation system chosen uh, captured uh, the air close to the source of the fume generation and transported the air to an overhead uh, conventional branch uh, duct system where it was filtered and then exhausted. Now, that is really important because uh, we have to capture hexavalent chromium uh, fumes. We can't just exhaust that to the environment. There was... Uh, childcare facility nearby, imagine that. To address the musculoskeletal uh, disorders, adjustable welding workstations were designed. And as a result, uh, the prevention through design uh, solutions were agreed upon to reduce the risk for uh, the welding uh, uh, operators. So to decrease hexavalent chromium, a related exposure risk. It was uh, agreed that we'll develop and uh, install that unique local 
exhaust uh, ventilation system and all the manual, manual welding workstations were modified with height adjustments for ergonomics. And the result of prevention through design uh, intervention was that uh, the uh, exposures were reduced even below the action level. They were reduced below 2.5 micrograms per cubic meter for hexavalent chromium, that is. Now, you can imagine that will require financial investment and uh, the risk reduction team uh, performed financial analysis and uh, it was determined that uh, a local exhaust ventilation system and uh, adjustable workstations will be financially feasible based on net present value, return on investment and internal rate of return, and especially the payback uh, period. So if you look at it, uh, it was calculated that net present value will be positive result, uh, simple return on investment will result uh, in 269% uh, uh, return on investment, uh, internal rate of return was also uh, great, 82%. And payback period was only 1.2 years. So that is really critical and important. And that that is how uh, this financial analysis will look like. Um, not always, but that is just... Uh, one example, but these are the most uh, important uh, financial terms that are used. So, like I said, I learned that the hard way, but uh, when you talk to your upper level managers, uh, you have to use their terminology. And um, that's what I was told, uh, you know, translate that to me in English, but my English in their English was sure enough net present value payback period, all these uh, important uh, terms. So the proposed uh, engineering control reduced the exposure uh, of hexavalent uh, chromium. However, the productivity was negatively affected due to local exhaust ventilation uh, system extraction of the important welding compounds and the temperature differences. So you will see here that uh, that pollution prevention device that uh, up a uh, couple of, uh, it was like 10 feet in uh, high, uh, when, when we need to replace that uh, filter in the pollution uh, prevention device, they had to stop production, they had to use ladders to climb uh, there and replace the filters. It was uh, challenging. And therefore, uh, they had to consider even higher levels of uh, hierarchy of risk treatments, and especially when we apply the as low as reasonably practicable uh, flow concept that we mentioned earlier in uh, the podcast. So not surprisingly, the risk reduction team decided to explore opportunities to automate the process and build complete enclosures for the workstations. And the management uh, team issued requests for proposals, and sure enough, they selected the fully automated uh, 
robotic welding station. So uh, these design changes would still achieve significant risk reduction due to elimination of welders' hexavalent chromium exposure and elimination of musculoskeletal disorders risks. However, the enclosure prototype was uh, built uh, with uh, sound uh, fire blankets, uh, that's what uh, they call them. And uh, these type of insulation uh, bats was designed to provide sound control and fire protection. So we're addressing two uh, EHS risks with one control measures. And uh, the pollution prevention system was designed to easily be accessible and the filters will be replaced at ground level instead of uh, shutting down production and climbing uh, up there. So to understand how the proposed uh, solution will impact the business objectives, uh, we have to evaluate uh, real or even anticipated changes that result from implementation of EHS solution in uh, the health status, risk management process, and uh, business process. So we had to consider both financial and non-financial uh, benefits. And sure enough, we mentioned earlier, net present value again was uh, positive, payback period was a lot longer. But uh, again, we're making these decisions for a long-term investment. So, uh, in a way, uh, it was obvious that total initial investment was close to $1 million, uh, $798,000 to be exact. And uh, it was uh, greater than estimated uh, simple annual benefit of almost uh, half a million uh, dollars. So a uh, more complete financial analysis was uh, performed and it resulted in a similar uh, return on investment uh, of around 140%. And they considered that uh, a wise investment, not to mention that uh, we can operate uh, the automated system for more than uh, eight and a half hours and it doesn't need breaks and we completely eliminated the uh, exposure to hexavalent chromium. So we also have to consider the non-monetary terms uh, and uh, some of the uh, non-financial benefits in general. So any benefit that we cannot monetize should be considered a non-financial benefit. So picture the reputation of... Um, an organization. How do you monetize that? Well, it's uh, difficult, but uh, imagine what kind of impact on the organization enterprise risk management uh, structure, the elimination of uh, respiratory protection equipment will have. Some of the welders were complaining that they had to shave every day so they can do proper fit testing. So these days we also have to consider ethical, religious, and social media issues. So I understand that it's not uh, an ideal situation. Uh, and automation of the welding process eliminates completely the need of respiratory protection.
So uh, the last step is to communicate the outcomes. And uh, of course, uh, we have to do that. Uh, we call that the five-minute uh, elevator speech. So you'll be lucky if you have uh, five minutes. But when you communicate that, state the problem, state the solutions, not like I did. Uh, I initially said we have a problem. So state the problem, solutions, uh, how we're going to reduce uh, occupational health and safety risk and how expensive that will be and what kind of financial and non-financial benefits that will bring to the organizations. So um, I think we're running out of time uh, to conclude um, occupational, environmental, health and safety professionals uh, often relied on regulations and technical exposure assessments. And uh, that is not uh, the future. If you ask me, uh, if we start communicating with 29 CFR 1910, uh, that's not a good starting point. And regulations are amazing foundation. But from a risk perspective, we have to consider risks to the organizations from uh, uh, enterprise risk management uh, perspective. Um, business leaders do not often have background in industrial hygiene or occupational safety, and they may not always see what kind of value we bring to uh, the organizations. So again, uh, to address the challenges, we have to learn how to use uh, business terminology in uh, risk reduction terms and how we manage risk uh, in the long term. So we would share um, resources, uh, all, uh, all of these uh, visuals you can see in uh, the AHA business case tool. But again, remember higher levels of controls. Prevention is always better than mitigation. And uh, if we use the proposed methodology in the business case uh, tool, it's a basically win-win scenario and uh, we can start developing business cases. You know, George, I just want to kind of close with a discussion that you and I have had about educating engineering students about prevention through design and the role of occupational and environmental health and safety. You know, we talk about, you've done a great job of explaining the importance of OEHS or IH professionals understanding the business language. But I think on the engineering side, if there's a way for us as a profession to provide some very fundamental education to engineering curricula that helps to inform students whether they're studying chemical engineering or mechanical engineering or electrical engineering, et cetera, the importance of prevention through design and the impact on worker health and well-being and how they integrate that into their thinking is going to be critical as we look ahead. And so I'm hopeful that the work that you've done at the University of Central Missouri and the resources that AIJ has developed in part with your leadership, K-12 
can help inform uh, a new course that could be marketed to engineering programs around the country at the undergraduate or at least the graduate level. That's a great idea, Larry. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, thank you, Larry and Georgie. That was a, a you know fascinating, uh, you know, great real life uh, practical examples of of building that business case. As as somebody with a business background, I felt at home with the ROI and the internal rate of return and the uh, payback periods. You know, that's great to hear. Um, and I, I think, I mean, I, I don't think I have any say in it, but anybody listening today should get advanced credits for towards their business degree. You know, if you're in, in safety or in industrial hygiene, uh, I think this should count towards your, uh, your business degree as well. So, and lots of resources, we'll get those listed uh, in, in the description as well. So people can reach out and connect with Larry and Georgie and, and access the uh, the resources that we mentioned uh, in the presentation today. So thank you again so much for your time. Super, super informative. I think it got to the practical details that that safety professionals need in order to actually implement these concepts at, at work. So uh, thank you again so much for your time today. Thank you very thank much. You. Appreciate it.